bless them as they go. Amen. Unless there was another praise that I might have missed. <laughs> and, and by the way, you got to be blessed with those restrooms, right? Amen. Those restrooms are cool. And they're not finished yet. They're still going to come in and do a number of little things. There are grab bars that aren't in yet, stuff like that, and some painting and some different cabinetry stuff. But hopefully they're going to get that done before this next week is out and uh, not in the middle of EBS. And uh, we're going to have fully functioning and complete restrooms. And we couldn't be happier. They were really easy to work with. Um, and so that was really fun. So that was, that was cool. Well, here we are. We're, we're continuing in Acts. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I think Live Oaks Church is great. Do you guys think it's great? Yeah? It's a great church to belong to. It's a great church to be a part of. I'm convinced that anybody who has a desire can, can find community, can find friendship here, can find fellowship here. You can find authentic worship here. You can find a commitment to the Word of God here. You can find that. You can find people who will pray for you, who will be concerned, who will accept you, who will show compassion to you, who will even speak the truth in love to you. I'm convinced you can become a part and you can find that here, that nurturing, that belonging, that discipleship. You can find it here. And I'm convinced that if you're open and you're willing, you will find it here. If you're willing to grow, to change, to follow Jesus one step at a time, one step at a time of laying your life down in service to him and being on mission with him, you'll find it here. You'll find it here, but it's not always that simple, is it? No. I'm here to tell you something. There is no perfect church. Everybody should say amen to that. Amen. There's no perfect church on this planet. A real, there, there are real churches, and these real churches are full of good things, right? But they're, all, they're also full of things that aren't so good. Amen? Go ahead and say amen to those things. Amen. They have things that will excite you, right? And they're really cool, and they're even entertaining, and they're fun. But then you're going to find the normal ho-hum things. Like, well, you know, okay, whatever. That was so-so. That's normal, a real church is going to be full of blessings. It really will be. But it's also going to have some disappointments. Say amen to that. Amen. Because it's a real church. There are no perfect churches. Charles Spurgeon once said this about finding the perfect church. He said, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I found the one that was perfect, I, would, I should have spoiled it. He kind of talked in those kind of higher English ways. I should have spoiled it, for then it would not be a perfect church after I became a member of it. Because I'm imperfect. Still, imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth to us. And it really is. It's a place we all need as believers. But it's imperfect. So no perfect church on this planet. You know, God knew that. God loves us. He's with us, even though we're imperfect. I want you to know that. And he knew that we would never be perfect until he came and until his work in us was finished. 
So not even the church at Jerusalem, when it first began under the united and amazing leadership of the apostles, not even that church was perfect. Imagine that. Imagine that. And it was in that first church that was having so much promise that we read about last week, that place that was so cool and wonderful to be a part of. It was in that place that the first problem hit the church, and it hit it with a a bang. I can't punch as well because I jacked up my hand. So when I've been shaking your hand today, it's been a lot lighter than normal. Uh, That's what happens when you get old, and people ask me, well, what did you do? And I said, I don't know. I think I just twisted a wrench, or who knows? You know, you get older and things happen. So not even that church was perfect. Remember when we read last week in our last passage, all the church were of one mind and heart. That church shared everything they had. The apostles' teaching was powerful, and the grace of God was powerfully at work in all of them. And it was amazing. Miracles were happening. People were coming to Christ. People who were getting their questions answered. And from time to time, even parishioners were selling their houses in their fields, and they were bringing those proceeds in, laid them at the apostles' feet, so that anyone who had need could come there. Now remember this early church, when it first started, it started when there were a lot of parishioners that were from out of town there worshiping. And so they were there worshiping and they stayed because they came to Christ and they became a part of the church. But they didn't live there, so funds were probably starting to get real thin. But these people that were there would sell their fields and houses and bring the money in to take care of people who had need, so that nobody had need. And nobody was in want. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who was there for the time of worship, whom the apostles called Barnabas, he had done just that at the end of our passage last week. Remember? He sold a field, he brought in the proceeds, and he laid them at the apostles' feet. And the apostles gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we are going to see an abrupt change. All of a sudden, there is going to be a screeching halt to this thing. And you're going to go, what happened? Because the beginning of chapter 5, which is what we're going to be reading right now, the first 11 verses, there's going to be a major shift, and and you're going to be scratching your head. And I'm here to tell you, this is not one of those easy passages to interpret. At face value, it can come off a lot of ways. But I'm here to tell you that if you take the time to dig into it, to pray over it, to get into Scripture, it begins to be revealed what was going on here. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to sound real harsh. You ready? Let's read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, right after this great gift that was given, right after we saw how God was calling everybody to generous giving and how, the, how much blessing there was in generous giving, now we're going to discover something about when giving becomes sin. Mm. Let's read. Now a man named Ananias, or something like that, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. See, you may not catch what's going on there, but you can read between the lines, can't you? There's something going on there. Him and his wife were in cahoots with each other, conspiring. 
It goes on. Then Peter said, Ananias, how has it, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. I don't know if that rocks your world, but it should. He fell down and died. Wow, that's harsh. That's huge. That's swift. And the scripture goes on. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And there's nothing like that, like a quick death to get you to set up and, and, and pay attention, doesn't it? And it says, then some of the young men came forward and they wrapped up his body and they carried him out and they buried him. But this, the plot thickens. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Uh-oh, there's going to be more trouble. You can feel it, huh? You feel like you're being inquired like your parents when you come in late, you know, at night? Where have you been? Oh, yeah? What have you been up to? And they keep you talking long enough, and if they kept you talking long enough, they'd find out, right? And you, then you'd be in trouble. But you kind of feel like you're in that a little bit. And so Peter is asking her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she said, yes. She said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen! Exclamation point. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Peter was exercising a gift of the Spirit. It's called discernment and the word of knowledge. The Lord had revealed to him what was going on, and he saw right through it, because God said, something is going to be done here. And this is going to teach, and it's going to be in my grace, but this is going to sound harsh. And here it goes. And so he told her that, and it says at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and they finding her dead, I think as a young guy, I don't want to keep coming in, right? <laughs> I'm finding too many dead people at church. And he came, they came in, finding her dead. They carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. And it says, great fear seized the whole church. A church of about 5,000 plus women and children. And all who heard about these events. This church was young. This church just started. This church was having revival. I'm telling you what. But you know that there's something that we always have to remember, and this isn't really a part of the message. When you pray for revival, remember this. You're also praying for what? For judgment. You're asking God to come and make straight what's been broken. Make right what isn't right. So always remember that when you're praying for revival. Man, I want to see change. I want to see great movement of God. Remember, along with that, there's righteousness that comes in. And depending upon how people choose to respond by their own free will will depend upon how they will end up going through those kinds of things. And that's just the truth, and so I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to tell you a warm, fuzzy, oh, 
because it's the truth. And that's really what happened. Real change means real change. And it means the evil one is not happy, and a lot of other people aren't happy, and persecution happens where people, they lose their lives, or they get incarcerated, or they lose their homes. That's what we saw happen. Remember earlier where persecution broke out because the devil's not going to step by and just watch God move and heal and reach people. And you know what? Other people aren't going to do that either because they're following the world and they love the world and they want the world. They bought into it. So they don't want you standing in their way. We see that all the time in our culture, don't we? With two factions constantly protesting one another and fighting and and, and they have totally opposite views, and they're not going to listen to each other no matter what. But they're going to be in contention against one another. These things happen in our world. And when God brings revival, there's going to be a lot of other shaking up going on too, because all the other parties, the world and the evil one, are going to be throwing a fit. And, uh, and, it's, and some things are going to hit the fan. So, here we are. Where, where am I in this whole message, huh? I'm just jumping all over the place. So it says, this church was together. They shared everything. But bad things happened. We usually don't talk about giving in the context of sin, but this morning that's what we're going to do. When does giving become sin? That's what we want to look at. And that's kind of what our passage is trying to tell us, at least one of the things it's trying to tell us. So giving becomes sin when we do this first thing. And it's the first thing that our young couple did. Um, I'm here to ask you something. Do you ever feel like everybody else is being affirmed in the church but you? Everybody else uh, is being promoted and praised in ministry but you? Everyone seems to be getting things. They seem to be moving forward in their walk with life or in their life or with the Lord. Everyone seems to be prospering except you. And you know, sometimes we feel that way when we're in the church. Sometimes we feel that way in life as we're growing up because it's where we're at and it's how we feel. And it's really kind of normal, a part of human development and even discipleship development to feel that way. But we know when we're feeling that way, we're having a pity party. And we know if we're feeling that way, it's not because we're focused on the truth. We're focused on other things. And we feel like things aren't fair, and I'm not getting a fair shake, and everyone else is. You know, maybe Ananias and Sapphira felt like that a bit. They might have been sitting in the church because in the church then, a lot of the giving was given in public. We don't pass around a, um, a plate. We have our offering in the back so that you can worship the Lord as he directs you. But there, everyone could see the gifts that were being brought in. They could see Joseph of Cyprus bringing in this huge offering. Everybody was talking about it because they talk about these kind of things. You know that he sold a field and he brought the whole thing in and put it at the apostles' feet. Oh my gosh! You know, and they're flabbergasted by somebody who would be that generous and that faith-filled. And so they, they saw this and they saw how Joseph was so esteemed among the apostles. They enjoyed him. They liked him. They liked him so much they gave him a nickname. Uh, you know, if I really liked you growing up and we'd play, we'd always give each other nicknames. And, and we never played pickup games of basketball or anything without having nicknames. And they're usually nicknames just for that game. 
So that meant you were in, you were a part, you were welcomed, you were accepted. And, and so they saw that. He was son of, of encouragement. Man, they probably might have thought, we don't got any nicknames. No one gives us a nickname. I can't believe I want a nickname. Why aren't we so beloved and esteemed? Why aren't we close and connected to leadership? Hey, why aren't we in our influence being promoted in the ministry? They seem to be promoted, but we're not being promoted. What's the deal? What's the problem? You ever feel envious like that? Ooh. See, we call it the green-eyed monster jealousy, but it's really envy. I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it because I don't feel like I have it. Oh, there's a great recipe for disaster right there. You're, you're focused on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And that can cause us to have a pity party or to be envious. Right? You're walking in the flesh instead of the Spirit. If you read Galatians 5, they're opposed to one another. But because we're in process and growing, we kind of go back and forth sometimes. I'll, I'll, go, I'll walk in my flesh a little, I'll walk in the Spirit a little. And sometimes I'll walk a little more in the Spirit, and other times I'll just go by my flesh. You get two different results because of that, by the way. You're also tempted by the devil. Maybe they were tempted by the devil to doubt God's goodness. Remember, we, we sang this morning, God is good. The Bible tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God concerning you. The Bible tells us that everything is going to work together for good if you trust God. And you live according to his purpose. But you've got to trust him. The devil will, will tempt us to say God's not good. Maybe they forgot it. They forgot to remember that God is the one who works in us both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Philippians 2, 13 through 15. Maybe they were thinking and living in the wrong kind of wisdom. You know, James talks about that. There are two types of wisdom. There's wisdom of this world, and there's wisdom of the Spirit and of the kingdom of heaven. And they are opposed to each other. And maybe they forgot, and maybe they didn't heed the warnings for following wrong wisdom. There are warnings. It has results. It has consequences. James 3, 13 through 18 says this to us, and it talks to us about being tempted and being sucked away. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, wisdom is humble. It's willing to understand and to take the time to discover and to investigate. But it says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth that you have it in your heart. Tell yourself the truth. I'm envious. I'm jealous of other believers. I'm jealous of other people. I want what they have. And I don't know why I can't have what they have. It goes on. It says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It is how the devil felt. He wanted to be just like God. Why, why do you get to do all this? Why, it, that's, what a per, that's the question, by the way, people ask if they're falling into envy and into jealousy, and if they're falling into worldly wisdom, they ask the question, why? Why, 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 why? The question that you ask if you're in the kingdom or seeking the Spirit is, what? 
What, 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 what? Big difference. Big difference in results. Why? Why? The scripture goes on. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and every evil practice. So it's given us the 411 on that. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. There's no, no imbalance in it. There's no impurity in it. It's the same through and through. Then it's peace-loving. It loves health. It loves truth. It loves peace. It's considerate. Puts others first. Submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That's the wisdom. The wisdom from heaven. The wisdom from above. We can't be sure whether Ananias and Sapphira, if they were, had bitter envy or selfish ambition, or if they just wanted status and power, or if it was just old, good old plain old greed that they had. Uh, but it, was a, it could even be a combination of all those motivations that motivated Ananias and Sapphira's sin. But we do know something about their sin. Okay? We could probably speculate there was envy and selfish ambition there. That's probably a, a pretty good call. But we do know something about their sin, and I want you to know, and I want you to take note, what was their sin, okay? If you're taking notes, write these things down. This was their sin. They, and put the word deliberately, they deliberately conspired to deceive the church and its leadership. They deliberately did that. They deliberately presented themselves as someone they were not. They deliberately did that. They just didn't do that, you know, out of happenstance or because they were this or that. It's that they chose to do that to maintain a deception and to pull the wool over the eyes of leadership and everyone else. They weren't surrendered in faith, and they weren't willing to go there and trust. They were trusting themselves, and they wanted to look like they were trusting God. They deliberately presented their gift as something it was not. It wasn't complete, but they acted like it was. And the apostle called it on them. Wasn't it yours before you sold it? Wasn't even after you sold it the money yours? You could have decided to give just a quarter of it. That would have been cool. You could have gave half of it. You could have spent most of it and then gave a little. It was yours to decide. But you're the one who said, this is devoted to the Lord. This is given to the Lord. And so they, they, they deliberately presented their gift as something it was not. And then they deliberately took for themselves. What does it mean when you deliberately take for yourself something that isn't yours? You steal it. They stole what they had devoted to God. And then... They bold-faced lied about all this to the church leadership and to the church and to God. See, that, that's a pretty heavy sin, isn't it? That's a, that's a, that, you've gone down the road a long ways, haven't you? Yeah, you have, and it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to come back from that. Do people do that? Oh, yeah, they do. do that 
I don't know that I run in, into that kind of stuff in the church that much, but it happens. But you certainly run into it at life. I've had family members that pretty much live by that code right there. Um, not good. So our first point is this. Giving becomes sin when you deliberately conspire to deceive others, including God. That's when it becomes sin. And you do it to get in order to get what you want, which is your real goal. So you conspire, you deliberately conspire to deceive others, God, in order to get what you want. You deliberately hide your selfishness and your self-serving agenda under the cloak of generosity. That's what you, you deliberately give to get. And, and we've had a lot of people under the name it and claim it thing that did that. They deliberately gave to get. And getting and taking is your real priority. That's what your real priority is. It's not to give or to worship God or to trust him or to bless others. It's to get. Because you are number one. That's where these people were. We need to get that. They weren't just the garden variety of folks that were just kind of making a mistake. They were conspiring. They were deceivers. So there's the first thing. When, when, and I know this is kind of heavy, isn't it? When giving becomes sin. Wow. This early church had to run into this right off the bat. Let's look at, at, at uh, our second point, though. We often hear around the church, and maybe you've even said it yourself, sin is sin, you know. All sin is sin. You know, we say statements like that as if there isn't any sin that's any worse than another sin, or, or there isn't a sin that carries any greater consequence than any other sin. And we'll say it like that kind of flippantly. We say that in the church, but we all know that's not true. See, that's just not true. For instance, if I were to kill somebody, killing someone is a grave act, is it not? A very grave act. Yet based on the circumstances, the consequences for committing this act could be much different, right? If I've killed somebody as a result of a non-negligent accident, or in the case of true self-defense, there's not going to be a penalty for committing that act if it's truly deemed to be that. It was just, it wasn't a negligent accident, and it was true self-defense. There's no consequence other than that you feel bad that you're a part of something like that. But if this, you killing somebody is a result of a negligent act, of you being drunk, or you being silly or stupid, or whatever the case may be, the person responsible for the death of another could get manslaughter. And manslaughter carries with it some time, as well as probation. It's got a heavier penalty. If you kill someone in a fit of rage without premeditation, you probably get second-degree murder. See, I know some of this stuff because I've been in these cases. I've sat in courtrooms many times, um, and I might be missing it a little bit, but I'm fairly close because I've sat in family trials as well as things in the church. But if you, if you kill somebody in a fit of rage or in a fit of passion and you haven't premeditated, you could get second-degree murder. And that charge, you know, it's a little heavier than manslaughter, and it carries more years. But you're not in prison for life, and you're not, you don't get the death penalty. But if you deliberately kill somebody and you premeditated it, you've thought it through, um, guess what? You're going to get the first degree murder charge. And a first-degree murder charge is going to give you life and imprisonment. And if it has special circumstances, you could even get the death penalty. 
And um, I do know something about that, about people that are death row um, in my family because of those special circumstances and are there today. See, the weight of these sins, it changes. And the sin itself changes. There are degrees. And there are weights that are different. Different sins carry different weight. Different sins carry different circumstances. And depending on the circumstances, different sins can have different results and penalties. So this is important to note because of a first reading of our passage today is a bitter pill to swallow, right? It seems like the penalty didn't fit the crime. I mean, didn't Jesus die for all of our sins on the cross? Weren't they believers in the church covered by the blood of the Lamb? Why is God stepping out so boldly and strongly when Jesus has died for our sins and by his stripes we are healed? Right? I don't know, does anybody else feel that other than me? You wonder. It seems like it was just all they did, they were foolish, they were wrong, they were small. They were broken people. Was it to the level that it warranted the swift death penalty without a chance to confess or to repent? But it, is it? But is that true? Is that true? I want you to think about something in the natural world. There are things that happen in the natural world. We don't like them, but we accept them. And we don't blame them because they happen. <laughs> Gravity is one of them, right? Gravity is not always something we love and we like, but we accept it. And, and we know that it's sure, it's consistent, it's definite. It's, it's a powerful force. Wouldn't gra- don't you agree? Gravity keeps you on the earth. But boy, when you're up on something tall, gravity will bring you down. You can always count on it. And gravity can be a great blessing. However, if you take it for granted and aren't careful with it, you disrespect it, you don't honor gravity, it can swiftly cost you your life. I've tested that sometimes to my own chagrin at times. Um, You know, getting out, you know, and I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want anybody else trying stuff like that. I'm too old, I don't do that anymore. But you understand? And I had somebody call me on that and say, you know, that's the same the same temptation the devil gave Jesus. You need to come back and you need to respect and honor the boundaries God has placed in your life and gravity being one of them. Right? And and I received that, and so I did. But I'm here to tell you something. No one judges gravity for your death. You know, who, who blames gravity? Oh, man, gravity. You know? Rather than... Rather, you ponder if something happens when somebody dies from not respecting gravity, you you ponder over their lack of carefulness, their lack of wisdom, their lack of fitness. The fault is theirs. The fault is ours. It's not the immutable force. It's not their fault. This, This absolute, indisputable, unchanging force, it's not gravity's fault. There are boundaries in our lives. If I choose to go past the boundary, guess what? I'm going to have to live with the consequences. You know, right? And you all push boundaries like I've pushed boundaries. But we don't blame the boundaries when we, you know, when we get in over our head and get in trouble. 
because we didn't respect them, we're going to have to pay the price sometimes, and sometimes we pay the whole price. Again, what was so wrong with Ananias and Sapphira and what they did? Well, they essentially did what Achan did in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. And I'm not going to go and read any of that, but I want you to go back and read that story. You know, you, you know the story is when the, when the people of Israel were coming into the promised land the first time. And, it, and, and really, this story centers around the first stronghold that God delivered into their hands, which was Jericho. And God instructed them as they're getting ready to go into Jericho, he said this, he says, listen, uh, I'm going I'm to open up this, this city miraculously. He did, right? All the walls with a shout, boom, fell out. He goes, and when you run in, get this. This is the first stronghold you're taking down, but everything belongs to me. You kill everyone because it was a wicked place, a place that had resisted the Lord for hundreds of years and resisted righteousness. And so you are to kill everything, but all the bronze and the gold and the silver and, and all that precious metal, the iron, you are to bring and put in the treasury of the tabernacle because these items are sacred. They are devoted to me. They're devoted to God. They're set aside, and they're the first fruits that come to me. Now, little did these people know at the time, the next city they were going to attack was going to be I, and God was going to tell them, you can take everything there, take it all. You know, all the plunder, all the metals, everything comes to you, but this first one, it all comes to me. Right? And so he said, don't, don't take any of it, because if you do, you're going to die. And it's going to be bad, and you're going to bring judgment upon the, people, the whole nation of Israel. So what happens shortly after their success at Jericho, the Israelites move on to attack Ai. The spies saw this little place. They go, this isn't like Jericho, man. Only sent about two or 3,000 of our guys up there. We're going to get this done real quick. It's going to be great. So they run up there to do their business, and they get their buns kicked. They're chased all the way down the hill country. 36 in their group are put to death and killed along the way. They come back, Joshua is going, oh my gosh, and comes before the Lord and says, look what happened! God, what's the deal? The Canaanites and all the other people in the country, they're going to hear about this, and, and all the surrounding people, and they're going to come out and wipe out your name. They're going to wipe our, out us. What are you going to do? Your great name is going to be sullied. God responded to Joshua by telling him, hey, Somebody in your camp has taken what is devoted to me. That's why. But consecrate your people because tomorrow that person's going to be brought out by lots. They're hiding their sin. So what happens? And we know what happened if you read the story, right? That Achan, during the battle, Achan was this man, and he saw a beautiful robe. Hey, some robes can look great, man. And this was a beautiful one, I guess. He saw 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, and he coveted them. That means he wanted them. He lusted after them. He said, I got to have these things. Right? And he went after them, and he got them, and he took them, and then he hid them underground in his tent. After being found out, Achan did confess his sin. He defend, he, the penalty for stealing those sacred things that were devoted to God he received that, and he received the penalty for, for the 36 deaths of his countrymen. And guess what the penalty was? It, it almost seems like overkill, but this is what it was. He was stoned. 
and all of his family. All his belongings were brought together, and they were burned along with him and his family. And then a big pile of stones was piled up on all of them so that the people would remember what happened. And let's not repeat it. We were told it was a real boundary. We were told it was the truth. But we didn't honor God. And we didn't honor the truth. And we thought we could play with fire and not get burned. And the reality is we cannot. Wow. So in the story of Achan, we just see something. We see how deceptive sin can be. In the midst of this miraculous victory that they had in Jericho, Achan was enticed by a robe, by silver, by gold. And none of those compared to what he had experienced already in the power of God, right? Their whole group went across the Jordan on dry ground because God pushed back the water. Tell me, when does that ever happen? They, they, saw, they saw with just a shout the walls burst out of this great, strong stronghold. When has that ever happened? And they, an army of people who weren't really that equipped for warfare, take out this great stronghold and kill everybody in it. God was with them. He was blessing them. He was keeping them. Wow. How could that little bit of gold in that robe and that silver match up to that? But didn't Ananias and Sapphira witness marvelous and miraculous things as well? They saw healings. They saw that that leper, or not leper, that poor beggar. Sorry, we're on one. That poor beggar, they saw his legs all of a sudden straighten and get strength, and he jumped and leaped and healed within a moment because of Peter and John. They saw that. They saw great things. They saw generosity. They saw people giving to one another. They saw changed lives. They saw God's grace powerfully at work. How did that compare to the few bucks they had from this land? Yet we know our own hearts can easily be swayed if if we're not careful. James tells us in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. All sin leads to death, ultimately. That's why Jesus came to die on behalf of our sin. So we wouldn't have to die. But it's so easy for our hearts to be swayed. Another aspect of this deception, this sin's deception, is the promise of benefits and blessings that it can never deliver. Sin always tells you, oh man, you're going to love this, it's going to be so great, so wonderful, go ahead and do this. Well, these sold items that Achan stole, what good did they do him? He had them buried under his tent, rotten in the ground. Couldn't spend it, couldn't wear the robe. Everybody would ask, where'd you get the robe? No, he would never be able to enjoy it. So it was all for nothing. And then he loses his life, his family, and everything he has. Because he didn't honor the Lord with it. And he tried to lie about it. It seemed like great worth, something of great worth because sin tempted him, but actually it was worthless. It was worthless and it made his gut ache with guilt. The same was true with Ananias and Sapphira. 
the money that they withheld, it didn't bring them happiness. It didn't buy them happiness. They thought, well, we'll be happy because to give is to be left with less. And so we want to be able to do these things. We want to be able to go on these trips. We want to be able to have this stuff. And this is going to make us happy. No. Instead of being beloved and esteemed, they were remembered as an example of what not to do. Their life was cut short. And guess what? They never got a nickname. Okay? They didn't get a nickname. I know it doesn't sound real important, but shoot. They didn't get what they hoped for. So giving becomes sin when a believer takes for himself what is devoted to God. Wow. God has placed so many gifts and blessings into our hands as his sons and daughters. In faith, he's given them to us. In faith, we are to give them back to him and give him what he asks for. Give him what we have determined in our hearts to give. God loves a cheerful giver. God's not going to make you give what you don't want to give because he loves a cheerful giver. Do you know that Ananias and Sapphira had options, didn't they? See, we're still trying to explore why they did what they did, and, and I'm going to actually leave out the, one of the most important points till next week, and we'll get to it. But, you know, they could have looked at what Joseph of Cy- Cyprus did, and they could have went, oh my God. How wonderful that is. And look at how God is blessing him. Look at how maybe God could bless me like that too. I'm going to trust the Lord. I might give a little more. Maybe I won't give like Joseph gave, but I'm going to grow in the grace of giving because look how God is using that gift to bless others and look what God is doing in Joseph's life. But they didn't. They didn't feel that way. They didn't learn from his example. They weren't spurred on to faith by what Joseph did. No. Because see, their hearts and minds weren't there. They weren't there. So in faith, we're to give what he he asked for and give him what we've determined in our hearts. Don't deliberately hold back even a little portion and then act like you're giving all. Don't do that. You don't have to. Be who you are in Jesus. Be where you are in Jesus. But don't deliberately play games like that with God. Because you're dealing with things that are powerful and are certain and sure. They are. Give him all. Simply trust Jesus. Be honest with him as you grow in the grace of giving. That's what we are to do. Simply trust him and be honest with him as you grow in the grace of giving. If you feel yourself being tempted, tell him so. If you see that you're being stingy and you don't believe, tell him so. Ask him to help you with that. Ask him to convince you of that. He's Lord. But he's the giver of all things. There is no good gift that we don't have, that that we have, that he hasn't given us. Remember, we're stewards of what he's given us. So ask him. He's not asking you and me to be perfect. He's not asking us, but he's asking us to trust him, to be honest with him, and to be growing. And I'm telling you, you'll never go wrong doing that. You never will. And you don't have to feel bad or or feel gun-shy about giving to the Lord or walking with the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And we're going to find out that the Lord is really good this next week. 
And we're going to find out that maybe even what happened here could possibly be an act of love. Hmm. Hmm. Could that be actually an act of love? Do you find that a hard thing to swallow? Well, we'll talk about that next week. Amen? I want you to stand with me and let's close in prayer. Let's pray. I know I dumped some heavies on you. Sometimes, sometimes you have to deal with the warnings and, and the realities of Scripture, don't we, as we speak the truth. But remember, God's, de- God's desire is to give and be a generous giver and to have his people do that. He wants to just keep giving. Amen. So let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you, Father, that you're with us as we're trying to understand this passage that is alarming and can be difficult and can uh, even cause us to be afraid and wonder, where do we stand and what should we do? God, help us to show that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you are true, you are consistent, you are sure. You're not a man that you would lie like we are. Um, And you understand that we are but dust. You understand our frailty, our brokenness. Sometimes that we don't even know that what we're doing is wrong. You get that. You get that we make mistakes. And so, Lord, help everyone to know here that Ananias and Sapphira weren't simply being disciplined or receiving a consequence because they just simply made a mistake. That there's so much more there. So help us, God, not to be too simplistic in our estimation of things, but to take the time to investigate. Investigate what your word says and who you say you are, God, and what you're telling us, and to investigate our motives and uh, the passions of our heart and the reasons we do or don't do certain things. God, help us to be honest. Help us to come and reason with you. And thank you that as we do, you can make it, even if we have sin in our heart, you can make it white as snow. You can come and clean us and deliver us and help us. So we're so grateful and thankful, and we're so grateful and thankful that after this uh, terrible time in Scripture, we're going to see that you bless the church tremendously, and you bless your people tremendously, because that's the kind of God you are. But we know that the evil one has come only to kill, steal, and destroy, and to deceive us, to deceive us into sin, and deceive us into uh, destroying ourselves and others if we pay attention to him. So God, make us wise and help us to only keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So bless us as your people. See us through this week. Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you just bless all of our efforts to reach out to our younger ones and their families and bless our week of Vacation Bible School that it would just be a wonderful time to your glory, Lord. So thank you for that. Father, we pray that you would heal everyone who needs your healing touch today. And just continue to take us on and bring us back next Sunday and bring us back and keep teaching us and keep changing us to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless you.